Let's all turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Beginning with verse 3. Let's all rise for the reading of God's word. Shall we all stand together? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began the good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For my God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound till more, still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been fulfilled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for these words of Scripture and for how, what it means to us, especially on this day. Father, I ask that you will bless uh, our church family uh, with your words from the Scriptures and that they will always be in their hearts and, and lighting their path. Thank you, Father. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my God and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. There are certain scriptures I quote almost every Sunday, either in a benediction or after I read scripture, because that's uh, a way of pouring scripture into the hearts of our church family, but also because of what it, it says and what it's intended to say. And so I've always tried to use that particular scripture uh, as I read, after I read scripture, probably 80 or 90% of the time. Because I really do desire that the words of my mouth and the meditations that are upon my heart are acceptable in the sight of God as I preach, especially. So thank you, thank you, girls. And I feel so blessed. I see a lot of friends from, uh, from way back coming to visit with us and to worship together today. Uh, my, um, my physician is here today, Dr. George Jung. He's, gonna, he's probably going to give me an extra shot or something for mentioning his name. But uh, I was, I've told you I've always had a doctor that's taken care of me so that I could preach and teach for these low 42 years. And therefore, men, once again, go get your annual checkup. Gentlemen, get your annual checkup. I tell that to them all the time, Dr. George. And then uh, I'm blessed because Coach Tuck is here from uh, Maranatha. And uh, after I retire from basketball coach, I'm going to go see how he coached at Maranatha, see how you're supposed to do it. So <laughs> it's going to be cool. Now, there's a scene from a Shakespeare play called Romeo and Juliet, where Juliet is saying goodbye to Romeo from the balcony. It's a very famous scene, at least for those of us who are older. And this is what she says to the departing Romeo. She says, Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be morrow or tomorrow. Extremely famous quote. I asked the staff, do you remember this quote? And it fell down chronological lines. <laughs> the older staff members recognized it. The younger staff members thought, well, maybe I've heard it before. So I guess you don't read Shakespeare as much anymore in high school. 
Now, sweet sorrow is an oxymoron. An oxymoron, by definition, is a combination of contradictory words. It's when you use two contradictory words together. My favorite example of it is USC student-athlete. An oxymoron. Yeah. You know something like that had to come this final sermon. Now, sorrow is sweet, and it's an oxymoron, because how can something be sweet and sorrowful at the same time? That's what makes it an oxymoron. See, parting is sweet sorrow for Juliet because it means she gets to see Romeo again that much sooner. When he departs, tomorrow comes, and she gets to see him once again. You know, parting is such sweet sorrow for us, for Rain and I, because even if we never see uh, all of you again, and I do anticipate we get to see you again, but if we never did, we get to spend an eternity together. So in that respect, parting will always be sweet sorrow with anybody who was a fellow believer in Christ. There is no such thing as a permanent goodbye for Christians. No such thing as a permanent goodbye. Now, people have graciously been asking me what I plan to do after I retire. Well, I have thought about starting a Romeo club when I retire. A Romeo club when I retire. You know what Romeo stands for? Retired old men eating out. <laughs> Good club, huh, man? No dues, no rules. You know, there is such a club like this. Rain and I first saw it. We were in a restaurant, I think, in Florida. And these eight or nine men wearing, I think, red shirts with Romeo on it came in. And they're all retired. You can tell they were retired. They're older men. And so we looked, and on, on the T-shirt, it had Romeo, and it said, retired old men uh, eating out. And I thought, yeah, someday, someday, you're going to start a club like that out in our way. I'll call it Romeo's. So it should probably be retired old men uh, eating out and serving. You know, maybe getting the men to eat and then go serve. Do some sort of work or service. Anyway, I may start that Sunday. I may call some of you guys one day and say, let's do it. Now, this morning, I'm going to be sharing with you five thoughts about my relationship with our church family since 1977, when I first began. Now, whenever I get an opportunity to speak to others about our church family, I always tell them there is no better church family to serve than our church family. And I mean that with all my heart. Uh, God has really blessed me. He's blessed our entire staff, blessed my family by being a part of this particular church family over the course of 42 years. Now, let me share with you a few reasons why. First of all, you honored my youthfulness and inexperience. You honored my youthfulness and inexperience. Look at, turn to Philippians 1, look at verse 5. This is Paul's salutation to the church of Philippi, with whom he had a real special relationship. And it's considered a letter of joy. And he begins it with a prayer. And he prays for the people, and he's actually trying to tell the people something, as I'm going to be sharing with you this day. He says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, from the very first day, the people at Philippi embraced the Apostle Paul as he planted them and as he, as, as he uh, became their pastor, at least on a temporary basis. And one of the things which blessed me over the years is that from the very first day, Evergreen Baptist Church embraced me as their senior pastor. And I had absolutely no pastoral experience. So I was youthful. I was 29 years old. 
And back then, most pastors became senior pastors well into their 40s. So I was 29, married with three children. Bethany, the one on the, on the, um, on the keyboard, was just born. So she was a baby, born in January, and I came to Evergreen in May of that year. And um, the Lord directed me when I first started ministry to a portion of Scripture, which became sort of my guiding light in the initial years. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, 11 and 12 says, these are very important verses for me early on. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. And so being a young pastor with absolutely no experience, I really clung to these two verses as Paul was teaching Timothy how to be a pastor. He says, prescribe and teach these things. And one of the first thing he says thereafter is, let no one look down on your youthfulness. And that was pretty easy at Evergreen because no one looked down on my youthfulness and my inexperience. And what I attempted to do from that day forth was to be an example of speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, and to show myself as best as possible as an example of one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so most of my contemporaries in Asian American English-speaking ministries were probably 15 to 25 years older than me, and they were really gracious and accepted me as a colleague in ministry. And so I really appreciate the people who were here 42 years ago who uh, loved me, who loved my family, and who were willing to follow their shepherd, even though the shepherd was green behind the ears. So I thought for a moment, we'll just, while everyone else is seated, if those of you who were here 42 years ago, even if you were a child back then, who, those of you who were here 42 years ago, if you'll just please stand to be recognized. So please stand up. Those who are here 42 years ago. Thank you. Be seated. Back there is Lance Ito. He was in Japan when I first got called. He came back around two or three years later, maybe two years later. And we were at Second Evergreen, the sanctuary filled. We opened up the side. There was probably about 150 to 200 people worshiping. And when he left, the church was about 40 people. And so we were singing. We were there one day. He told me the story later on. And, um, and when he was sitting in the back, and then at the end we sang a song. I think we sang Come Along, Brother by Wes Terazaki. And when people just kind of filled through the aisles and, you know, kind of, kind of, in, uh, kind of held hands or, 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 or put their arm around each other's shoulder, and we sang, come along, brother, you know, that song. Some, most of you don't know that song. <laughs> so he was back there, and all of a sudden he asked one of the people in, in, in the church afterwards, is this the beginning of a cult? <laughs> now, the reason why he said that was I was wearing a gray sport coat. And Dr. Gary Tanaka, who's one of our members, who's gone home to be with the Lord, optometrist. And he said, Pastor Corey, I got a brand new set of glasses that I think you'll like. When you put these glasses on, in the dark, it's clear. And then as you go outside and it gets brighter, it gets darker. And it basically turns into sunglasses. And at Evergreen, back in second Evergreen days, it wasn't a room like this. There were windows because we had no air conditioning, just fans. So the windows were wide open and the sun shone in. And so I always wearing, it looked like I was wearing sunglasses. <laughs> and so if you, know, if you know, there was a cult leader who used to wear sunglasses when he preached. And he used to wear this gray sport coat. 
I won't tell you who, what his name was, but what, who he was, but he was a cult. And uh, Lance thought that I was beginning a cult at Evergreen. So everything wasn't hunky-dory at the very beginning. Lance has become since one of my good friends here at Evergreen. So you honored my youthfulness and experience, which is what Paul was, was trying to counsel Timothy in, and also the church. Secondly, you kept the ox unmuzzled. You kept the ox unmuzzled. Turn to Philippians 1.5, and it says there, in view of your participation in the gospel from the very first day. Not only did they accept them from the very first day, but they participated within the very first day. And one of the things I appreciated about the church at Evergreen back in Second and Evergreen was they always, I always felt that we were co-laboring together, but I was the shepherd and the leader. And I'm going to concentrate on one aspect of that in just a moment. But I thank you, those of you who are there, especially at the beginning, for keeping the ox unmuzzled. Now that reference comes from 1 Timothy. So turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. This, again, is Paul's letter of counsel to young Pastor Timothy. Verse 18 says this, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, part of me always wished that God used a different metaphor there. And you know, nobody, nobody who th likes athletics wants to be called an ox. You know, I, I, I wish God had used a term like thoroughbred. <laughs> I would have even settled for traveler, the Trojan horse. Right. But the word of God is faithful, and it is true. And every metaphor has its purpose and design. Well, on the day that this was written, oxen were used to thresh grain. Here's a picture of what it looks like. Threshing was the process of loosening the edible part of the grain from everything else. Now, oxen will basically walk on the grain on the threshing floor, thereby loosening the part you eat from the rest of the stuff. And that was easier and more effective for oxen to do it than humans do it. Sometimes they use like a, like a broom to do it, and that just took hours. So they, they would use ox. Now, on the day that Moses wrote this law, there was a habit of some to rent oxen from a neighbor. And some people, what they were doing when they rented the oxen is they would put a muzzle on the oxen, which prevented the oxen from eating while the oxen was laboring. And it wasn't really good or fair to the oxen or to the one who was renting the oxen to the one who was utilizing the oxen. And so Paul wrote a law saying, or excuse me, Moses wrote a law saying, you shall not muzzle the ox or oxen while he is threshing. In other words, feed the oxen while they are working. So he transposed that to the day of Paul and Timothy, saying, make sure you pay a pastor a fair wage, which at the time wasn't happening in a lot of churches. And one of the things Evergreen did from the very outset was it endeavored to pay pastors a fair wage, not muzzling the oxen while they labor. But I think the oxen muzzling means even more than that, because that's a way of also controlling the oxen. And so I think one of the things that blessed me over the years is not only did the Evergreen pay a fair wage to their pastor, but they allowed their pastor to do ministry and lead in ministries that were unknown to them, and they were vistas yet to be seen and paths yet to be thread. tread. 
And um, I was really appreciative of that. They never muzzled their pastor. They allowed me to lead in uncharted waters, like eliminating fundraisers to support missions and depending solely on the giving of God's people. That was a huge change back in 77 through 1981. Supporting homegrown missionaries to send overseas. So raising up missionaries and sending them. Starting a counseling service. Starting an internship program. And we have some of the interns uh, who are now pastors. Those of you who are interns here who are now pastoring our church, could you please stand? Please. I saw Kim here. I saw Gavin here. Anybody else? Pastors? Let's thank the Lord for... I, and in some respects, they shouldn't be here, because then who's at home? <laughs> so I hope you guys left somebody there to preach, right? Yeah, okay. Kyle was going to be here, but then something transpired, and it could not be Kyle and Adam. So, and they, Lighthouse has done a remarkably good job in training up interns into pastorship. In fact, I think they have exceeded what we've done here at Evergreen SGV. One of the, my dreams was always the pastors we sent out would do better than I ever did, and that they would listen to the Lord better than I listened to the Lord, and that their ministry will grow beyond what our ministry grew. And that's happening, I believe, at Lighthouse, and for which I am very thankful to God. So you honored my youthfulness and inexperience. You kept the ox unmuzzled. We'll call it thoroughbred. You kept the thoroughbred unmuzzled. You trusted the Word of God. You trusted the Word of God. Look at Philippians 1, 7, 9, and 10. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. All right, it's the word of God. You are all partakers of grace with me. Verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may still abound, abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. See the words that are, that are highlighted? Those are all words that indicate that one of the desires of, the, of Pastor Paul, as he wrote the book to the people of Philippi, is that he really was invested and wanted them to be invested in the gospel, in the word, in the teachings, in the things that are excellent, which he describes later on in chapter 4. Of Philippians. And so uh, I was really blessed over all these years, for 42 years, a church family at Evergreen honored and trusted the Word of God as inerrant and trustworthy. You know, the very first task as senior pastor of Evergreen was to help the church family to regain their trust, and that happened almost immediately. And then within the short period of time, we embraced God's Word as our handbook for life and for ministry. I believe today one of the strengths of our church is our reliance and confidence in God's word as being holy and inerrant without errors, without error, any error. One of the things that's most distressing to me is how churches today are abandoning the word of God and, and its teachings in favor of what the world says is right. Only God knows what's right. He's the one that has the right to declare what is right. But from the very beginning, you trusted the word of God, so thank you. So you honored my youthfulness and inexperience. You kept the ox unmuzzled. You trusted the word of God. And fourthly, you loved my family. You loved my family. 
Look at verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. What he was concerned about was that the love that the Philippians had would grow. And abound means not just to grow, but to spread out, to touch lives within the church family and outside the church family. Evergreen always allowed me to teach to live faith and family first. Most of you have heard that, right? Faith and family first. Family is more important than your ministry. And once you have your family in order, then you can go all out for ministry. So one of the things we ask of our pastors on staff is make sure you tend to your family first and foremost, even above ministry, and then all other things will fall into place. So my family came before ministry throughout the entire course of the last 42 years, and now it's just not my wife and daughters, but now our grandkids. The church allowed me to coach. That's unheard of back then. It's kind of unheard of now, too, but I love coaching. I told you before, if I were not a pastor, I would be a coach today. So God is so good. He's, he's wonderful. He allowed me to coach at Maranatha for like 10 years, both girls volleyball and basketball. And then I re-entered the coaching world about 10 years ago to coach my grandkids at San Gabriel Christian School. And now two of them are at Maranatha. Right? Uh, but I really enjoyed my coaching time. So I, I had a split shift. Get up early, work the mornings until the early afternoon, then I go to coach. And then I go to coach games. And then I return, and then I can always have evening meetings. But I always try to be home for dinner and uh, bedtime for the girls, or at least read their stories to them five out of seven nights, because family came first. Well, I thought hearing from me is one thing. I thought maybe you should hear from a couple members of our family regarding this, how the church blessed our family. So I'm going to ask both Tiffany and Rain to come up. Tiffany and Auntie Rain. For those of you who are guests, Rain is not my auntie. <laughs> but everyone here knows her as Auntie Rain. So Tiffany's going to share first, followed by Rain. Good morning, Evergreen. So I'm Tiffany, as my dad said. I'm the eldest of the three Ishida girls. And I'm here this morning with my husband, Andy, and my three kids, Mia, Brayden, and Shin. So we joined Lighthouse Community Church, which is one of the church plans my dad was talking about earlier, about 13 years ago. And as much as we love our new church family, um, it's been such a blessing worshiping with all of you this past month. We've been able to come here the past four Sundays. So I had the opportunity about two years ago to share at my dad's 40th. So I see a pattern, my sister's seeing, I talk. So I get the talking part, <laughs> lucky me. Uh, no, but I'm really grateful that I get to share this morning. And I apologize if I repeat anything because I honestly don't remember what I shared last time. Um, but hopefully you'll still be blessed as I walk you down um, memory lane as a child, as a pastor's kid at Evergreen. So people would often ask us, what's it like being a pastor's kid? We always thought that was a bit strange and odd and not sure quite how to answer it. We felt like typical kids living typical lives. Our dad just happened to be a pastor. We felt very ordinary. But as I began preparing for my sharing this morning, I began to realize that our lives weren't that ordinary after all. We were very special and we were privileged to be a part of this church family. So I'd like to share five ways in which you have touched and blessed our lives. First, you provided for us in small and big ways. We had lots of babysitters, fun babysitters. We got to watch TV. 
Free expert volleyball coaching by Coach Gary. Elegant bridal tea parties with chair covers and homemade scones and mini sandwiches by Carol and Sally. Career advice and direction, home repairs, home additions, doctor or lawyer advice, fashionable hand-me-down clothes, anonymous checks, vacations, and a beautiful black upright baby grand piano are a few of many ways you have provided for us. Pretty much any and every aspect of life was covered by your generosity. Sunday morning, fresh baked goods. In fact, my mom had some scones last week made by somebody, and they were so good. And homemade holiday desserts were always a favorite. My fondest and my most memorable and grateful memory was our parents' 25th anniversary party. So I like planning parties. I, I wanted to be a wedding planner, um, but ended up in farm school. But anyways, my sisters and I, we wanted to throw our parents a huge 25th party. There was only one problem. We were, well, two of them were college students, and I was in farm school at the time, so we had no money. So we conjured up maybe $1,000 at best, but thankfully, many of you came to our rescue. We had close to free catering by Todd Cicada, state-of-the-art invitations by Irene Marr, elegant setting, and I see the Fongs here this morning, in their beautiful backyard, they had a huge lawn, huge. And we were able to set up chairs and do a mini ceremony with the repeating of the vows. And then they um, transformed their tennis court into a banquet area. So we had a nice banquet um, room outdoors. It was beautiful, elegant, and so well orchestrated. Better than I could have even imagined. And I think it was actually nicer than my parents' actual wedding day. <laughs> Something we will never forget. We were never in want and always received more than we could have hoped for. Thank you, Evergreen, for providing so generously. Number two, protecting us. I know I mentioned this last time because Kevin Ye was making comments to me after, but we had lots of big brothers looking out for us, keeping a watchful eye, making sure we got to our destination safely and that we were hanging out with the right boys. Evergreen helped protect our family time, as my dad just mentioned. Um, you allowed him to carve out time and structure his schedule so he could be with us and he could spend time with us, read us bedtime stories, and just be there for us. So thank you, Evergreen, for protecting and providing a cloak of protection in our lives. Number three, preaching to us. Okay, not preaching to us, but preaching to us in sort of a Sunday school fashion. We were blessed to have so many gifted pastors and interns. But I must say, my dad's an amazing mentor, so thank you, Dad, for mentoring such um, wonderful pastors. Um, my own pastor was an intern here. Youth advisors, Sunday school teachers, and disciplers who faithfully preach the word of God into our hearts week after week, encouraging us in our faith and challenging us to keep growing. We never felt judged nor felt like we had to act or be a certain way. Rather, we felt the loving encouragement to keep pursuing Christ. Thank you, Evergreen, for lovingly preaching the word of truth into our lives. Fourth, praying for us. So two words, Itsuko Teragawa <laughs> and her beloved husband, Henry. Our prayer, there were our prayer warriors, faithful, steadfast, and powerful. I believe the Lord has poured out his blessing to us and to all of us through their lives and through their faithful prayers. I always thought I was so lucky to have 
Mrs. Terrigal are praying for me and my sisters, only come to find at our 40th, 40th anniversary that she'd been praying for all the kids. So she has just blessed and touched many of us. My dad's MRT, Uncle Ronnie, Joyce Inoue, Lori Kadama, John Yuen, staff, and countless more have prayed for my dad and our family over the past four decades. As a child, I recall feeling the presence of the Lord in so many different situations, even to this day, people come up to me and say they're praying for me. Thank you, Evergreen, for praying for us so faithfully. So I was, I was laying in bed this morning. I woke up at 7.30, which is unusual for me because I usually wake up super early. But I decided to lay in bed, and the Lord laid on my heart that I should add one more P word. So, pursuers in faith. So my dad just was talking about um, faith, and a lot of this overlaps. So the first thing, 42 years ago, a small group of you stepped out in great faith and took huge risk in hiring a man named Corey Ishida. So I love my dad, and I know he's the wisest, godliest, and most gifted man. But for an Asian congregation to hire someone without an education in ministry and minimal experience, and as he mentioned earlier, he was a rookie, you stepped out in faith and hired him. And that was the only the beginning. This act of faith continued on for the next 42 years. We moved from location to location to location to location, and each time it was an act of faith. Hiring interns, that was a big step my dad already mentioned. And finally, church plants. I know many of you are here today are part of the church plant, and I know it takes great faith uh, to plant, but it also takes great faith to leave. That was, I know, one of the hardest things for me when we left Evergreen. Yet all of you did it in faith. So thank you, Evergreen, for being pursuers in faith. So what's it like being a PK? Well, it's more than just being a pastor's kid. And it's definitely not ordinary. It's being a provided for kid, a protected kid, a preached to kid, a prayed for kid, and being a kid who has learned to pursue in faith. Whether as a, as a young kid or now an old kid, you have provided, protected, preached, prayed, and taught us how to pursue in faith. You have made being a pastor's kid more than ordinary. You have made it extraordinary. You have been such a blessing to our family, and we thank the Lord for showing us his generosity and love through all of you. May you continue to be blessed, then to bless the next generation of pastor's kids and their families as you have so richly blessed us. And may the Lord's grace be upon you as you continue to love and serve him faithfully. Thank you. We're laughing because my font is so huge. <laughs> I didn't want to wear glasses up here, so. And um, wow, I was told five minutes. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about um, a hallmark of our church, I think of how we love one another, and you have loved us. And Tiffany 
actually we didn't compare notes, so she's already talked a lot about some of the things I was going to include in mine. The hallmark that we love one another didn't matter if it was a family issue, a health problem, bereavement, financial stress, or just making a bad mistake. We love one another. And I know that because you have done that to our family. I'd like to just share a few, since I was only given five minutes. Okay. <laughs> In 1982, I had foot surgery, not on one foot, but both. So it left me with crutches. And when I came home from the hospital, the kitchen, I still remember looking at that kitchen, it was full of prepared meals. And I was just so blessed because I didn't realize that surgery really puts you out. And uh, so I was on my back for several days just recovering from surgery. And uh, thank you for feeding us. And during my recent pelvic fractures, you did pray. I can stand here today. You visited, you sent more food, and you took good care of Pastor Corey. You loved Tiffany, Sunday, and Bethany. Young adults, as Tiffany mentored, would volunteer, come over to babysit so I could go shopping or do anything I wanted. <laughs> you were prayer warriors. Again, Itsuko Teragawa, we thank you for holding us up to Jesus for 42 years. Youth leaders, and church school teachers molded our daughters to be mission lovers, to be leaders. And you bonded them with their other forever friends. And now the same is happening to our grandchildren. You're doing it all over again. I don't know if some of you know, but Evergreen did own a house for the pastors to live in. It was located at 1051 College View Drive, one block up from McDonald's in the Atlantic Square. And it was a very comfortable house. But one day, someone heard me say, oh, I wouldn't mind having another child. So they thought, oh, we'd better head on to their house. And you did. Our comfortable house turned into what I would call a very large comfortable house. And my dreams of ever living in a big house was met. And it wasn't that important after all, but you let me experience that anyway. You trusted Corey and the church leadership with the purchase of joint equity home, a joint equity home in San Gabriel. And today, many other pastors are able to do the same thing, to purchase their own homes as, with a shared equity. Back in the 80s, my brother Patrick lived with us for about 10 years 
after an auto accident which left Patrick physically and mentally disabled. You, the church, use your muscle power to help build a room for my brother with handicap amenities. You made sure he was taken care of while I needed to teach Sunday school or Corey was teaching. You also instill great honor in your children toward me. You're so respectful. You'd always make sure your children said, say hello. To, you would say to your children, say hello to Auntie Rain. And they would go over and say, hello, Auntie Rain, <laughs> and then run away. <laughs> and then soon they wouldn't just run away. They'd give me a hug, too. And, uh, and so I guess that's why somehow when they reached first grade Sunday school, they had such a holy fear of me. <laughs> and I really love it when you grown-ups also address me as Auntie Rain. In fact, kids didn't even know that Auntie Rain and Pastor Corey were married. <laughs> One day, uh, Karen Tom told her daughter that she was going to drop off something at Auntie Rain's house. I wasn't home. So uh, Corey came out to get the item. Her daughter, Marissa, gasped. When she saw Pastor Corey come out of the house and exclaimed, what is Pastor Corey doing in Auntie Rain's house? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for a loving one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. Love one another just as I have loved you. And our family has been loved very much by you. And we thank you very much. Amen. Thank you. You notice that their testimonies were very similar? because our experience with the church family is very similar. Each one of us, uh, you, didn't teach, you, didn't, uh, you didn't relate to us uh, distinctly or differently, but you loved us all um, and my entire family equally. Uh, the biggest difference in their testimony was the font size of their notes. <laughs> and I could read Reigns from there. <laughs> I thought, well, I gotta increase my font size to make life easier on myself. But thank you very much, you know, for uh, loving my family. And then fifthly, you have been our forever friends. You have all been our forever friends. In, Phil in Philippians 1, 3 and 7 through 9, if you look at the emphasized words, you'll see that, that there is friendship involved between Paul and the church of Philippi. He wrote, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He had a very special relationship with them. Verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I, I, have, I have you in, in my heart. Very special relationship with the Church of Philippi. Since both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He be love the church family at uh, Philippi. And in verse 9, 
And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. There was a love relationship that existed amongst the church at Philippi, which I believe exists within our church family, Evergreen SGV. But there's also this love relationship between Paul and the church. They were friends. I think they were friends forever. And forever is a long time, but we get to experience that friendship forever. I've always considered my church family as my friends. I took a class in seminary, and every senior person just ready to graduate out uh, who was on a pastoral track had to take this one class. And it was a, a uh, counselor who was professional, very well-known, lots of books. And he taught the class, and that was one of the classes that was completely filled. A lot, a lot of students there because you're supposed to take that before you get your diploma. So I was in the tail end of my, of my education. I, I, went, I took the 10-year course uh, assignment from, uh, from my seminary. I went to school for like 10 years because I was pastoring full-time. And so the professor got up to the front of the class, and, and he said, um, now, r- remember this. You should never have your friends in your church, and your church people should never be your friends. He said the same thing about staff. In other words, you shouldn't develop friendships in your church. So I was appalled at that statement, so I raised my hand, and I politely and respectfully told the professor, man, you're crazy. Right? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't say it quite that way. I didn't want the students there who've never had ministry experience to think that that was the correct way of doing it because if you look at Paul's letter to the church of Philippi, there was a love relationship between Paul and the church. Jesus himself said what? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's in John. Jesus also said, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And he used the word friend there. And so even through the mouth of Jesus, we discover that people who are part of the family of God, we should be friends. And so I've never been fearful of uh, developing friendships within the church. And then I realized afterwards why the counselor, he was a professional counselor, a psychologist, Christian psychologist. I realized afterwards why he said that. Because he saw a lot of pastors who were broken and hurt. And usually that happened within the context of friendships in the church and with their staff. And I thought, you know, that's actually worth the risk. And thank God that's never really transpired to any great degree in our lives. Now, the, but the hard part is saying goodbye. You know, people have been asking me for weeks now, how do you feel? And I tell them, I really don't feel that much differently right now. I'm probably going to feel it this next coming week, or maybe after next Saturday. Like this Saturday, this Sunday, I had my responsibilities and the rhythm of the week leading up to the pulpit. And so I really can't say that I've, I've had extraordinary feelings one way or another. I just know they're there somewhere, because I can feel that. And so, but one of the things I wanted to make sure, because people have also said, oh, can we see you after you retire? I've had multiple people come up to me, like, like dozens, come up to me and think that because I'm retiring and I'm supposed to have no contact with the church, within the church context, for two years, that, like, we're an anathema for two years. And so you can't, we can't do anything. I keep telling them, no, we can still do things as friends. I just can't make any comments about what's going on at church. And so we can still get together. Uh, you can buy lunch for me anytime you want. <laughs> 
or dinner for Rain and I, anytime you want. But I want you to remember that, that we are friends, and we will, we will be friends forever. And forever means someday, even if we don't see each other a lot after I retire, someday we're going to have this incredible reunion in a place called heaven because you have confessed your faith in Jesus, and so have I. Isn't that a marvelous thing to know? So I asked our, our daughters, uh, Bethany and, and Sunday, to sing a song from us to you. And it's, even though my, my girls will still be here, I guess it would be more from Rain and I to you. This, is a, this song was written in 1983. So all of you youngins are not, it's going to be a brand new song for you. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is a song that I really like because it describes friendships. And I want you to understand as my church family that we will be friends forever. <laughs> so that's from us to you. And I think that fits. Philippians chapter 1, and the, uh, the thoughts of the Apostle Paul. Finally, we're going to have a passing of the mantle this morning. Philippians 1.10 says this, So that you may approve the things that are excellent. You may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. There are a multitude of things that we need to approve as being excellent all grounded in the Word of God. And we've journeyed now for almost 18 months and beyond in the transition from uh, me being your senior pastor to Pastor Rocky Settle becoming the senior pastor of Evergreen SGV. And it's my prayer that this morning we'll be able to affirm that approval of that which is excellent in the sight of God. And so there'll be a passing of the mantle from me to Pastor Rocky. And this is my hope for you, my church family. You, you honored my youthfulness and inexperience. I hope you will honor Pastor Rocky's youthful inexperience. You kept the ox unmuzzled. I pray that you will keep him unmuzzled. You trusted the word of God. I pray that you will trust God's word as Pastor Rocky teaches it and as he lives it. You loved my family. I pray that you will love his family. You have been our friends forever. That you will be his friends, his forever friends as well. And so today, the mantle will be passed from me to Pastor Rocky. In 1 Kings 19.19, 19, the Bible says, So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Sephat, while he was plowing the twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed to him and threw his mantle on him. So in 1 Kings 19, Elijah passes the mantle on to Elisha. Symbolically, the mantle was his cloak. I thought about wearing my UCLA uh, jacket <laughs> and passing that on to Pastor Rocky. But somehow, that just didn't seem appropriate. It's what the mantle represents that's important. The mantle is the authority and responsibility of an important position or job given from the person who had position, had the position to the person who replaces them. That's the passing of the mantle. So I will be passing the authority and responsibilities of the senior pastor position from me to Pastor Rocky. So if we can have a couple of our staff guys come up.
and I'm going to ask that Pastor Rocky will please come forward. We're not going to have the church family or the uh, leadership surround him because this is really a passing of the mantle from me to him. So I get the privilege of praying over Pastor Rocky and pass the mantle of responsibility and authority to him. So let's all join together in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brother and my friend, Rocky. I thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you decided to call him to become the senior leader of this church family. I thank you that in your wisdom, you have been training him up for, for decades now, even from once he was a little lad, as you placed a desire to someday pastor in his heart. Thank you for all the experiences you've given to him in the field of football and how you've grown him through that. Father, I thank you that you have provided for him a loving, loving family. Blessed, a blessed family. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that he will be first and foremost a good husband and a good dad to his family. And then, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit will anoint Pastor Rocky with words to speak, with authority, with words to speak that, are, that, are, that coincide with the word of God, your word. Father, I pray that you will anoint his lips, that you will fill his mind, that you will strengthen his heart, that he will walk in purity of heart and mind. Father, I pray that when times come for decisions to be made, that you will grant unto him discernment that comes from above. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that at this moment in time that your Holy Spirit will pass the mantle of authority and responsibility from me to Pastor Rocky and that he will live it, and that he will love it, and that, Father, he will learn through it. Thank you for this, Father. So bless my brother. Bless him as the senior pastor of Evergreen SGV, and bless him as you just fill him with your spirit, your power, and your word. Thank you for this, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. But we felt that there should be some sort of, of um, physical, symbolic representation of the passing of the mother of the mantle other than my UCLA jacket. And we we're going to turn the lights, you know, from, uh, from blue and gold to cardinal and gold. And about the, that didn't seem appropriate either, although I know Ellen Chow can do that. Don't do it now, Ellen. We'll save that for the luncheon. All right, now. So we're going to have a symbolic passing or symbolic uh, symbol, a symbol of the passing of the man. Now I want you to pray for Pastor Ron as he's walking backwards. <laughs> we picked the wisest and the strongest two staff members to do this. <laughs> so you tell me who's the wisest and who's the strongest. Rocky. We are so blessed in our church family to have such incredible artisans and incredible people who have all these gifts and talents. And so Tommy Amata is just a great carpenter. And so Tommy has constructed the new pulpit for Evergreen SGV. So this will be the symbol of the passing of the mantle. Gentlemen. It, it just seems fitting that Pastor Rocky says a few words, 
the first few words from behind the pulpit. So, Pastor Rocky. We, st we still got the Seahawk colors up there, though, just so you know. <laughs> A compromise, so to speak, you know. But, uh, yeah, Tommy, Brother Tommy uh, was graciously made this. And it's extra special because he made it. He and Uncle Don uh, constructed the other pulpit that we had for, a, you know, over a decade or so. And the only thing I asked for is just make sure it's made out of wood and it looks solid, you know, and that's it. And then so Brother Tommy, he went off with this whole thing, and, and the artisan that he is, he made it as it is. And he gave me a Bible verse, uh, a couple verses here, and uh, I think it would be only appropriate that I read the Bible from the pulpit for the first time. And uh, Luke 24, 44 to 47, I'm going to read this for us. And this is what he said was kind of floating around in his mind as he was dreaming and thinking about what the pulpit should be like. And this is Jesus speaking to the disciples and uh, after he's been resurrected from the grave, after that first Easter, he says this, Now he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things are written about me in the law of Moses, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Talking about the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And then finishing off, And that repentance for forgiveness of the sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. All right, so every time, I want you to think about this. I want you, every time you see this pulpit, Tommy, Brother Tommy Amada, it dreamt up putting a stone tablets up here, okay? And thinking about the law, the Old Testament. Jesus said the Old Testament, the Psalms, the prophecy, the law, it's about me. And then every time, look at what's in the front. He said that he spent most of his time constructing this front and put a cross on it. I don't know if you see the, the nail marked cross here. And he said he loves to work with wood because there's natural wood design here. And I just, as I looked at it for the first time in the hut here in the, by the basketball courts, I, I kid you not, I, my right arm started crying. I started tearing. This is a true story. I thought, this is so beautiful. It's wood. It's, it's solid. This is going to be substantial. The Word of God is going to be preached here by God's grace. And it's about Christ. And if you see the pattern, is if the focus is going to the cross, this is what this whole thing's about. Whatever is preached here, somehow we're going to get to Christ. We will faithfully, by God's grace, preach the Word of God, but somehow it's going to get to Christ. But what I also noticed as I looked back and stepped back for a moment was notice the cross here. It also seems like its power is radiating out, out from the cross as well. So as we focus in Christ, God will use all of us to radiate Christ's love through the preaching of the gospel, the living out of the gospel in our day-to-day -day lives. Right here it says, starting off with Jerusalem, starting off in your home, home base here at Evergreen SUV, and in the San Gabriel Valley and throughout so this is the thing that I just wanted to leave us with. I just am incredibly grateful for Tommy, and this, it's extra special that it's in. Like Pastor Corey talked about, the relationships is what makes life special. We could order this online someplace, right? 
some great guy out of North Carolina could have made this and sent it to us. No, we had Tommy Yamada make this for us, you know, and uh, he stepped up, no problem. And uh, just remember this. Every time you see this beautiful work of art, this is about preaching the word of God, and we're going to be talking about Christ. He's the one we love. He's the one why we gather here. He's the one that why Pastor Corey said we could be forever friends because of Christ Jesus. Okay? Thank you so much. Now receive the blessing of the benediction. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you joy, peace, and holiness all the days of your lives. And may you leave this place knowing how faithful God has always been, how God is right now, and how God will always be. This is really his church. He is the great and good shepherd. Amen? And amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.